Hey there, welcome to Extra Stuffs. I'm Jessica Walker. So we're currently on hiatus from posting new episodes of Foodstuffs, but we want to share some of the additional content we've racked up in the last year before coming back for season three this fall. In this Extra Stuffs, I've got a longer version of my interview with Stu Sakai from the Ontario Springwater Sake Company. If you heard episode 12, you'll know that Stu is a huge proponent for sake and that he believes it deserves greater recognition as a viable option to go with dinner. That was just the beginning of our chat though. In the months since this interview went down, I'm surprised how often this conversation turns up and shows itself as relevant in the work that I do as a server and a food appreciator. Maybe it'll have the same effect on you. So with that, here's my extended conversation with Stu Sakai. All right, so let's start at the beginning of your relationship with sake. What was the first time you remember having sake? I cannot remember. <clears throat> now, I surmise that I must have come across sake the same way everyone else does. Uh, in which case, you know, you walk into some sushi restaurant and you think to yourself, well, let's do something a little more traditional today. And you think to have sake for some reason, um, because it's on the menu or whatever. And I probably did that. Mm -hmm. Um, that was probably the first time, um, when sake became a real thing for me would have been in Japan, my first trip to Japan, which was about three years ago now. And, uh. I drank a lot of sake on that trip. Didn't know what I was drinking though, and uh, and then when I came back, I realized that I wanted to know more. Mm-hmm. I wanted to know everything I could find out mm-hmm. about sake. So three years ago, and when you say you didn't know what you were drinking, that's because there's types of sake. Uh, yeah, there's types. There's ways to break it down. It's the nice thing about sake is at least coming to it for, uh, as a beginner, is that there's a very um, clear structure like of how they uh, define the class of sake. And it mostly has to do with two things. One, is there alcohol added to it or not? Mm-hmm. Uh, is it Junmai sake, which is no alcohol added? Or is it Arutan sake, which is alcohol added? Or just how much the rice is milled mm-hmm. in the making of the sake. The more the rice gets milled, the more rice you remove from each grain, the more premium... And expensive the sake gets so that's how the whole structure is broken down and it really makes it simple to kind of figure out if you just know a little tiny bit about it you know what it is you're drinking and you know what it is you're paying for mm-hmm. which makes it a lot more simple comparatively to something like wine where it's just like you could go into the LCBO and spend hours trying to pick something out spend a hundred dollars on a bottle of wine and then realize you take it home and you like your $15 bottle better because right. wine is very very complicated like that and you There's... need to know a lot to Huge variation, terroir comes into it. Um, just Regions, countries, grapes, aging. Mm-hmm. So I just want to go back to, you referred to it, like most people's first experience. Can you just kind of describe when you're talking to people about sake, particularly people who are uninitiated, what um, you're normally contending with, what their first experiences or their association with drinking sake typically is? Sure. Um, well... At the brewery, I do tours every week. And we get a very, very wide variety of different folks that come in for these tours. Some of them are from Toronto. Some of the, A lot of them are from abroad because we're in the distillery district. So it's very, very touristy. We get lots of different people coming in all the time. And I always ask people what experience they have drinking sake. And they always, you know, most of the time they just say, oh, I've tried it here and there, blah, blah, blah. And... Most often, the way people come across it is just it's at the Japanese sushi restaurant. Actually, I'd call them sushi restaurants. 
uh, not so much Japanese restaurants. I think there's a distinction between the two, um, which is a whole other uh, discussion. But um, you go to a sushi restaurant, you look at the menu, and it says sake, and it says hot or cold, and you're like, oh, cool, well, let's try sake, because that's what you would drink with sushi, because that's what's Japanese, and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> the thing that people don't realize, though, is in that context, you're 99.9% of the time drinking the worst possible sake you can get. Right. And very, people's opinion of this sake always, is always varied as well. Sometimes they're like, oh, it was good, I liked it. Sometimes they're like, oh, it wasn't very good, it wasn't my thing. Regardless, um, the thing they don't understand and the thing that I always try to tell people is just that it, it sets the bar, you know? And then in any beverage, uh, there's the good, the bad, and the ugly, everything in between, mm-hmm. right? So if you know that that is bad as it can get then it can obviously get a lot better yes and then that's where we come in at the brewery for right? sure yeah so how does it compare to others experiences with drinks because the i don't know the typical experience it's not like there's a huge list of sakes to choose from yeah. there is normally one or two and yeah. and so there's not a choice to be even made it's just like boom, sake. Do you want it or do you not? Um, But that's not our normal North American experience Mm -hmm. of drinking. And so you can kind of understand why someone would associate that experience Mm -hmm. with what sake is just in the presentation. Um, So, yeah, how does it compare to... Well, as far as like... I very, very strongly believe that sake has as much uh, history, culture, depth richness um complexity uh variation narrative mm-hmm. variation uh maybe a little less variation than wine or whatever but like than any other beverage mm-hmm. alcoholic beverage out there um there's just as much to 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 lose yourself in in sake the problem is accessibility at mm-hmm. least here yeah in japan you're fine in japan you are just uh, you're mm-hmm. drowning in the stuff <laughs> and it's wonderful and it's cheap mm-hmm. and uh and one of the best things about being in Japan, I was just recently in Japan, and it was the most amazing thing was is just the the most the cheapest versions of sake you can get are are really really good sometimes. Um, some of the best stuff I drank was just standard table sakes or whatever. Uh, what was the question again though? Sorry about comparing. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah just a, the normal way that someone in North America kind of interfaces with a drink menu. There's options. There's familiarity. So it, it has I, to do with conditioning. It has to do with the fact that, like, from a very very young age, culturally ingrained, uh, there are these beverages that are available mm-hmm. and accessible. And this is what your parents drank. Mm-hmm. You know, my parents drank whiskey. My mo- my mother drank vodka. My father drank whiskey, and that's pretty much all they drank. Mm-hmm. So you know, I don't drink vodka or whatever, but I do drink a lot of whiskey. <laughs> So I know about those things, right. and, and it was in the home. Um, when you go to restaurants and you start working in the restaurant business, then all of a sudden you're around, I'm around wine and spirits and cocktails and uh, and beer and cider and all these things, and it's just like, well, why isn't sake included in that? Right. In that vernacular now. Sake is also has a shorthand of being called rice wine, and I think that that's part of the problem too, right? <clears throat> like that's not a correct association with what we understand quote-unquote like wine to be people don't know anything about sake so we're forced to use these terms to help explain it and define it now if you want to break it down sake um 
is a fermented rice beverage. Mm-hmm. That's what it scientifically is. That's what it chemically is. Which is closer, in fact, <clears throat> to beer, which is why it's a sake brewery yeah. and not a distillery and not exactly. a winery or whatever. Yeah. We often say brewed like a beer drinks like a wine. It's okay. brewed, but it's technically it's not even really brewed like a beer. Uh, they call it a brew because it's made of rice. It's a grain. So that's why they call it a brew. That makes sense. But with beer, you have... Um, and the other thing is, is about it, why they call it a brew is because you've got starch. And starch doesn't ferment. You need sugar to ferment into alcohol. Mm-hmm. Right? So we need to convert the starch in the, the rice or in the barley for beer uh, into sugar. And the way they do that with sake is stuff called koji, which is uh, inoculated rice with a spore called Asperlis, Asperlis or zai. Uh, of course. Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, it's like just such a household ingredient. Yes. Yeah. But, um, and that's how you get the, star, uh, the sugars to ferment into alcohol with sake, which is what makes it super, super interesting, which is a huge, long explanation, which I won't get into, but that's why they call it a brew. Um, and that's where the variation in lies in different like different flavor profiles. Um, some of it. That's that's part of it. There's, there's, <laughs> I'm oversimplifying. Yeast, there, there's so, yeast. There's there's the different koji you're using. There's the way you age it. There's the way you brew it. There's the temperatures. There's so many factors right. that will influence the flavor of a sake. For I think sure. This is basically why I wanted to talk to you because this part is what breaks my brain a little bit and. I guess I was like looking at the rice wine question because it sounds like you even use that term at Mm. times, but it's not wine at all. And as someone who sells wine Mm -hmm. and approaches wine to taste it, to pair with things, to understand what um, language to use to explain it to someone Mm -hmm. else, it's an entirely different ballgame. Like terroir, I guess... Chiefly, terroir matters. Okay, well, let's talk about terroir and then wasake. Uh, so let's just describe terroir, just in case anyone doesn't okay. understand what it is. Basically, it's the conditions around the plant, in this case, grapes with wine, that give it the extra profile apart from the grape itself. Mm-hmm. So the soil that it's grown in, the weather that happened that year, the you know how much minerality um, it's exposed to in the soil versus. Mm-hmm you know, earthiness, whatever it is, um, that makes wine a little time capsule, essentially, and why, when it's biodynamic, there is a lot of variation year over year. But terroir does not matter with sake? Um, Well, the main difference between, uh, like, the brewers have tried to create a concept of terroir in sake. Um, It doesn't translate to to wine at all. Because the main reason, because we're talking about a grain and we're talking about a fruit. Mm -hmm. We're talking about a vine that is uh, living. And every year it grows new fruit from the same vine. And that vine gets older. And mm-hmm. it gets older and it develops. And every year it changes because of the soil, because of the season. And you taste that in the fruit because mm-hmm. it's fruit. And fruit is super complex. Um, with rice, every year you replant it. Mm-hmm. You replant it and grows. You do have good years and bad years depending on your crop and depending on the weather and things like that. But you don't necessarily taste it in the rice itself. Right. The terroir that they've created with sake often has to do with water, mm-hmm. which is always very, very, very important with, with sake is the what kind of water you're using to make it. Because usually they figure where the best water is, where the most baller water is, and they take the brewery and they just drop it right on top <laughs> of the water source. Uh, and they've known that for you know for centuries, that that was very, very important. Um, that's part of terroir. So the other thing is that breweries don't actually operate their own 
rice paddies, their own rice fields. They don't grow their own rice. Mm-hmm. Very, 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 very small few do, uh, but um, most all breweries will buy the rice from a co-op. The co-op buys the rice from the farmers, the co-op grades the rice, assesses the rice, and then sells it to the breweries. They put in their orders every year, mm-hmm. which is what makes sake more expensive than wine in a way. There's a huge reoccurring cost that every year the brewers have to uh, spend to get the rice that they need to make the stuff. Right, because it's um, not in-house. Yeah. Exactly. And whereas with grapes, they just, every t- every year, they yeah. just magically grow back. You Go know, back. Do, yeah. yeah. Mind you, there's a lot of maintenance and stuff like that, but... So... Simplification. <clears throat> you grow the rice, maybe you use the water that you use to make the sake to, to feed the fields, which mm-hmm. makes some more terroir. Uh, you use a yeast strain that's more native to the area that you're uh, producing the sake. So like with like, or like... What grows together goes together. Yeah, kind of exactly. Idea. Yeah, and like the styles in Japan, like regionality does exist. It's a little more gray these days than it was back in the day when people didn't ship sake around everywhere, and ingredients should ship rice around everywhere. Mm-hmm. But these days, you know, you can get any ingredient anywhere, and uh, the only thing that really ends up being uh, uh, stable is that water source. Right. Although I was just reading about a brewery today that actually like their water source became contaminated and so they ship it from an island where there's actually no sake breweries and they ship the water. Oh, amazing. So they've really funny, got cool. their own, like they've redefined mm. and given them They've space. kept the brewery where it is but just end up having to bring them the water, which is interesting because at the brewery that I work at, in the Ontario Springwater Sake Company, we import our water from Muskoka. Yes, because which is Toronto a very, water is not up to yeah. snuff for these purposes. As dirty as Lake Ontario is, when it comes out of the tap, it's treated and it's fine or whatever, but it's very high in iron, which is the one thing you really, really don't want in your water when you're making sake. Right. So we uh, import some beautiful spring water from Skoka. Lovely. Um, so just back to where it fits then in <clears throat> our lexicon mm. as North Americans. I guess in your role you'll be dealing with restaurant owners sometimes. And I, from what I understand, you've branched well beyond Japanese restaurants, well mm. beyond sushi restaurants mm. at this point in time. And how, like, what are you encountering with people? If you're cold calling someone, mm-hmm. what are you encountering as far as, like, the first line of defense that you have to kind of, like, overcome yeah. um, to explain why it does have a place outside of Japanese restaurants? Well, usually in the accounts that we have that do, that are non-Japanese restaurants that do serve sake, um, they're generally accounts that are a little bit more open-minded to it. It's not, um, it's something they've, they've thought about sake, not, maybe not necessarily a restaurant, but they've thought about it being like, oh, this thing that I want to know more about. And so they do have a certain amount of open-mindedness to begin with. Mm -hmm. The thing I think that is most, um, difficult for non-Japanese restaurant owners and thinking about how to fit sake into their uh, format and into their, their lexicon as you call it is uh, the how to serve it you know like how, how do does it have to be done this way like I don't know how to treat it I don't know does it go into can I put in a wine glass can I do I have to get these little cups for it mm-hmm. do I have to serve it hot <laughs> like how, how, how what's do the do gear this? Yeah, yeah. To make and it happen? Like, what's good? I don't even know what's good. Like, I've, I've had a good sake at a Japanese restaurant once, so I know it can be good. But, like, I don't know anything more about it. No one knows anything about it. What the defining features were about it yeah. to look for going forward kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Like, that has to do with, you know, the fact that availability. We have very, very low availability of sake in our market. 
um, the fact that there's no education around it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just starting to we're starting to get that. Um, there's um, very few accounts or restaurants that you can actually go to and like learn something about it. You go to a Japanese restaurant and they have a small list of sake. Ask the server, oh, can you recommend a sake? Can you tell me what these taste like? Can you, where are they from? Mm-hmm. Can you tell me, like, you know, what's the yeast that's using this? Or, like, how's this going to pair well with this? They will not have a clue. Yeah. And that's another fault. They're just, like, kids that are in Toronto or in wherever they're living to learn English and have fun. And they're young and they're just, you know, enjoying themselves. They don't know anything about sake. Like, and... young people in Japan don't know a lot about sake. Right. Uh, consumption in Japan is just, like plummeted since the 70s it's been slowly slowly just going down and down and down as mm. people drink more wine they drink more beer they drink more spirits right they're less interested in drinking sake although that's starting to turn around a little bit right now which is really really good there's always uh, a silver lining which is uh, a lot of younger brewers are coming into the mix which is making it a lot yeah. more interesting a resurgence yeah. and if you know 99.9 percent of your customers come in and don't ask those questions there hasn't the need for it yeah. clearly but are you feeling a change there is for is... sure for sure um well uh, like i work at the block Hoof. i've been there for six years we've been serving sake for four oh, by wow. the glass Wow. Buy the glass which is the most important thing you, know, you go into a japanese restaurant and you get these small 300 mil bottles and they cost 40 40 50 dollars for a 300 mil bottle. You don't even know what it is. Yeah. They don't know what it is. They can't explain <laughs> it to you either. So why the heck would you spend, you know, 50 bucks for a like, 300 mil bottle of sake? Taking a chance. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's a huge gamble. So then you end up going with the cheaper option, which ends up tasting like crap. So then you just don't do it. Um, there's a huge, uh, just circular kind of... A vicious cycle or something. That's just, yeah, that's just not giving it a chance. Right. Um, and it, I think moving forward, it will be more, not necessarily Japanese or, or non-Japanese, but just accounts that are more contemporary. They're thinking of this as more long game, that are thinking about education, and thinking about how important it is that the customer knows what it is that they're drinking. For sure. Um, so it sounds like there's a few factors as to why it isn't that way in Japan right now. But can you just talk about, this was part of the interesting element for me, is that in Japan, it doesn't compare, even if there is more of a general knowledge, it doesn't compare to the way in which you think about a bottle of wine to go with your meal and thinking about how it pairs and all of that. Because that's not the way it's approached typically mm. in Japan. Is that right? Well, Japan, like, I've been there a couple times, and as I said, I just got back from there. Um, in Japan, sake is very, very integrated into their society, just like wine is with us. Mm-hmm. It's not nearly thought of in this, uh, treated in the same way, I don't think. Like, for example, if you go into a restaurant, there's not necessarily uh, a huge sake list mm-hmm. at most restaurants. Most restaurants you go into, and then there's, like, one or two or three that are the the restaurant owner's favorites, right? You know, and they don't necessarily think about food pairing. Food pairing is something that is a very new phenomena in Japan, I think, because for the longest time they just drank sake with food, mm-hmm. and they didn't need to think about it too much because the cuisine was designed for the food, uh, or the sorry, the cuisine was designed for the sake, and the sake was designed for the cuisine. They they grew up together, right? Just like wine in, in a lot of regions, but because Japan's so small and it's always been so insular that like. You know, this, this, they develop together, and uh, naturally there's a, a harmony between them. Again, what grows together goes together kind yeah. of idea. The thing is, it's so cool about sake that a lot of people don't realize, because we are constantly uh, 
in our society, we were always thinking about food pairings as you know, and whether or not you know a lot about it, or you know, a little, you know, like people know at least like, Oh, I should have a red wine with my steak and I should have white <laughs> wine with my fish, mm-hmm. uh, which is such an oversimplification and is so wrong in so many ways. I love challenging that stuff. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but sake is, this, it, it's so different chemically than, than wine is. Mm-hmm. There's so much less in it. Mm-hmm. And as a result, it's just so much more amiable with most any food. You can literally pair sake with like any number of Western cuisine, any number of Western dishes, and it'd be fine. It might like, you know, you can definitely get really thoughtful with it and, and create and try to find harmony between a dish and, and, and a sake. But uh, for the most part, um, when I'm... Uh, whether I'm eating pizza or like burgers mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah, you told me like, that. Like, you know, and... like sake can be really, really good for those things. As long as it's not just too delicate and too light and, and too expensive. You know, just get a cheaper style sake that's like super big and juicy and it's just perfect. Yeah, like, it, it can cut through. Along. Exactly. Like yeah. you told me that and I kind of, I mean, everyone's reaction is like, what? Mm. Um, but it really does make sense because there is a saltiness involved there's like a little bit of acidity in some of them very low acidity in sake traditionally but uh then there are more contemporary styles that are ramping up the acidity which is great for us because yeah. we are used to <laughs> it's an approachability like it's like a <clears throat> building a bridge yeah. or something um but yeah all this to say sake and pizza is delicious together i can attest mm. um for anyone for anyone that wouldn't have had occasion to you know nerd out on it or be exposed to someone who knows something about it um what can you offer them Mm. for the next time they go to a restaurant and see that list um how do they ask for what they want or Mm. find out Usually I have so many other things helping me in this discussion like I have sake to actually give to the people um Okay, backtracking to the one I was talking about, the price of sake and how it's more expensive. Yeah, right? It is, naturally. I think the best place to get started with your sake, if you don't have a good restaurant that you trust is going to have some decent stuff that you can communicate with, and if you don't have like a brewery around the corner, mm-hmm. uh, like we do, luckily, um, is going to like good, reputable liquor stores. Like Go to the good LCBOs that will have larger selections of sake. Go to your local liquor stores wherever those happen to be mm-hmm. that might have like and you know if they got more than like eight ten bottles and they might have one or two good ones within that mix um and just follow the price you know for a 300 mil bottle in uh you're gonna want to spend 15 dollars for a 300 minimum mil bottle. Yeah. yeah and then like you can go higher than that too uh and you're just gonna get more premium the thing is that as the price goes up the rices get milling more and you're getting a higher quality product Mm-hmm. So ideally, so you, there get, is a trustworthy element to the price. Yeah, exactly. So it's not like you're gonna like accidentally, you know, uh, pick up a dud just because it you know, and, and have it be super expensive or whatever. Uh, so follow the price. You know, you're obviously gonna get a lot better value on 720 mil bottles. So so that's great too. Uh, but um, just uh, pick up those bottles at the liquor store so you don't have to spend so much money on it and get to know it. Um, read a book. They're cheap, easy to find. They're basic too. They have a really good foundation. Sakeworld.com. That's mm-hmm. good. Sakeworld.com is a okay. great website. Sake-world.com. Run by a fellow named John Gottner, who's the Western expert foremost uh, on sake. 
that's a good place basics in there and the more advanced stuff as well um you gotta want to drink it i guess mm-hmm. right um yeah so this is an interesting time where knowledge like kind of people are appreciating the handmade appreciating the effort and the thought that go into a number of things that they're eating drinking etc um and i think about with that a curiosity grows and you get more curious like it's beyond wine now it's beyond beer now Mm -hmm. i think that beer naturally segues into cider which in the last few years we've seen a huge in upsurge in interest and therefore um what is being created and and um, the variation that exists within it sure yeah yeah um is sake poised to be the next are you seeing the tide shifting and and it's there's room for sake i would definitely say yes um because the more people learn about it and there are people that are learning about it like one of the things i like to like i do in my own time is i do uh tastings with colleagues so restaurant people uh servers bartenders sommeliers and do tastings and try to get them some knowledge and Mm -hmm. get them some access to some good sake as well right and so then they get on board and then they start to go out there into the world and start to appreciate it as it's something that's real and i think that's kind of like where a lot of these things kind of end up starting is from like you know people that are working in the industry and uh, getting tired of like the same old and wanting to find something new and as long as the craft is there and the quality is there then they go right for it and the knowledge you know spirits like you know first it was bourbon and bourbon was huge you know scotch before that and then like rum has been a big thing over the last little while sherry's like huge in our in our market right now and vermouths and stuff so ciders are definitely really taking off in Ontario right now mm-hmm. as well uh, why not sake? For sure, it's definitely going to have its time. Yeah, because the, and it feels a different need, things, right? And all of those things are there: the quality, the narrative, the story. The, there's so much depth to it, um, and that's what those people are looking for. Yeah, uh, is you know that those flavors that are all tied into the history and the, and, and the narrative and yeah, so much of all of these things is storytelling. Mm-hmm. So if you don't have to just guess at a list. Um, instead, yeah. you have someone kind of showing you the way, then of course that's going to do a lot. For sure. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything else that we should know about sake before we go? Uh, anything else that we should know about sake before we go? Uh, okay, two things that people always wonder about that actually need to be covered real, real quick. One, people always ask about Oh, oh, sake, do you age sake like, you know, like wine, blah, blah, blah. Do you treat it like a wine? No, you don't treat it like a wine. It's Most of the time, it's meant to be consumed young. Um, two, hot versus cold. People always ask about that. Very, very important kind of thing. Um, when people say you should drink it hot, uh, they're wrong. When people say that it's more traditional to drink it hot, they're wrong. Uh, they're not right. They're not wrong. They're just... You know, it's just all these answers, all these questions about sake, there's multiple answers for them. Um, But then, like, the best thing to do is experiment and just try it yourself. Warm up a little bit, drink a little bit cold, try it room temperature. Mm -hmm. Some say the best sakes are the ones that can be enjoyed at a wide variety of different temperatures. And these days, most of the time, like, I like my sake when it's just, like, just barely, just barely chilled. Yeah. Yeah. Because depends on what it is if it's cold you know like then uh, the aromas are going to come out a little bit more and if, uh, if it's warm then if it has those more savory flavors and those come out to play uh it gets pretty complicated in there i guess but 
um, the point as is, the gist. There's no hard and fast rules, and anyone who tells you it there is is missing a lot. Yeah. And don't, uh, yeah, if you ever encounter a menu that says sake, hot or cold, get a beer. <laughs> I feel like that's some solid advice to end on. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Mm-hmm. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Mm-hmm. And there we have it, the extended cut of my conversation with Toronto restaurant vet and sake champion Stu Sakai. Make sure to come back to this space for more extra steps in the coming months. We'll be releasing more extended cuts and additional audio that didn't make it into the previous season of Foodstuffs. The best way to get all the stuffs is to subscribe to our podcast via iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at Foodstuffs Life or on Facebook by searching for Foodstuffs. Big thanks to Stu Sakai for breaking me of my North American perspective on how drinks ought to accompany dinner. And thanks to you for listening.